Blog Talk Radio. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. 
And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. of a Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Ladies and gentlemen, a uh, few technical difficulties starting this program tonight, but we are on track and Thanks to our production team, things are in order. Dealing tonight with sexual assault behind the wall. Voices behind the wall continue. And tonight we deal with victims of sexual assault. I'm going to play a clip right now that you might understand the direction we're going. Let's hear it. Ivory Mitchell served more than 30 years behind bars for armed robbery. Now, the 55-year-old wants the world to know what happened inside the Texas prison called the Powledge Unit. And then one day, I was in the washroom, and she came in and closed the door. Mitchell says a female corrections officer forced him to perform sex acts on her in 2009, over a five-month period. She put it to me like this. She said, if you, you open your mouth and say anything, I'll go to that desk and say, you put your hands on me. You hear me, Mitchell? I said, yes, ma'am. The Department of Justice says about 216,000 adults and juvenile inmates are sexually abused each year, about half those incidents committed by staff. The Prison Rape Elimination Act of 2003 was meant to protect inmates. When I walked over there, he had his pants off and said, I've decided it's been long enough and you're going to give me what I want. Jan Lestosi helped fight for the law. She was repeatedly raped by a guard in 1998 while serving time in Michigan for embezzlement. It's a shame that we have to make a law that says don't rape people when they're in prison. But it took nearly a decade for the federal government to establish standards for eliminating prison rape. Most of the states are still implementing requirements such as surveillance cameras, training for corrections officers, and reporting of sexual assault statistics. Only two states, New Hampshire and New Jersey, fully comply. Seven states have opted out, facing a loss of federal funds, including Texas. We get thousands of letters every year from prisoner rape survivors, and about a quarter of those letters are from Texas. 
Texas state prison officials say requirements like same-gender monitoring of inmates is too costly and too difficult to enforce. With a GOP-controlled Congress, Senator John Cornyn of Texas plans to renew his push for reducing financial penalties for states that don't comply. His rationale, the penalties could harm grant programs for sex assault victims on the outside. But the chairman of the commission that came up with the guidelines says taking the provision out would totally obliterate the incentive states have to comply with the law. Well, there you have it. Right behind the wall. Sexual assault. And that number is growing out of control. Guards are involved in this sexual assault uh, issue. Inmates assaulting one another in a place where safety and security is supposed to be the top priority. But it definitely is not. Sebson, let's hear from you on your thoughts on this one. As we go down this road, difficult one it is. But guards' abuse of power, even women guards with men in these institutions, and threatened and made the statement, if you say anything, I'm going to go tell them you put your hands on me. And I guarantee you they're, not going, to, they're going to believe exactly what that officer says. No, it's exactly right. Like we've talked about on the show many times how these people get, you know, the guards, they'll get behind, you know, uh, the wall. They get a badge, they get a little bit of power, and suddenly, you know, they become drunk on it, and they try and do whatever they can. They extort whoever they want to, and they try and just push people around rather than just sit there and do their job like they're supposed to. I mean, these people are already paying their debt to society for, you know, what's going on. You know, they're they're in prison, they're doing their stretch, and nine out of ten of them, I guarantee, aren't in there to mess with anybody. But here comes some guard or here comes some inmate or they're incited by bribery from a guard to go and rape and abuse and do things to, you know, other inmates or to perform sex acts with guards. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. And they, they have no conscience about it because just the sheer number of cases that we hear about this, you can tell there, there is no conscience that's going on with this. There is no concern for the humanity of these inmates. It's there's something there and these guards are they're using them as entertainment. No, and it's a horrible thing. We're going to be joined here by Kathy Morris. Uh, she's been on this show. She'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour tonight as we get into the extremities, if you will, of these actions is, is uncomprehendable. And this is, we, we have to be the voice again, the voices of these inmates, whether you're in County jail, whether you're in uh, state or federal facilities, has been silenced by the, what, what the guard told this young man. And I'm going to tell you the consequences for her going forward and say, he raped me. A guard, if you don't comply with my sexual uh, request of you, that's a major issue behind the wall. Absolutely. And that is what they, what they call it in prison is a street charge. So it's not an in-house write-up. You want to get a street charge for rape in addition to the time that you have. And I guarantee you, and this is what's sick about it, nobody's believing that inmate at all. That correctional officer goes forward and says, he raped me? You can kiss the baby. That's it. That's a wrap. And that's, that's really a sick situation. 
Uh, and th- th- this is why this topic has to be discussed. And the fact that people – and wh- my question is, why are not people outraged? Because, again, we said this the other night. We've said it since the Voices Behind the Wall started. It is because they don't matter. That you cannot possibly be telling me the truth, inmate number so-and-so. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way you're telling me the truth. You're already uh, looked at as a negative person. You already look unbelievable. So the abuse of power, I don't believe we have enough checks and balances in our prison system that, that guides these individuals not to do what they do. We're dealing with sexual assault tonight, but I'll tell you what. They're getting away with murder in these institutions. They are getting away with every type of crime you can think of without consequence, and many of them not even losing their jobs. They get suspended with a paycheck. They go on vacation. Yeah, get administrative leave for, like you said, committing murder, rape, extortion, everything else like that, just behind the wall, and all because what? Because they belong to some union or then they have a badge. That, yeah. That's true. That's why they're getting away with it. Oh, that's absolutely right. And we're going to, again, we're going to dig into this, this uh, tonight as females and males are becoming victims of rape. And if you've ever, what you cannot even begin to imagine in your comprehension to comprehend the insanity of that and the mental torture for an inmate and a young lady to be dealing with this. And we talked about the wrongfully convicted people that go in here to be uh, sexual uh, adventures for these guards and for these inmates. Uh, it just it, it just cannot uh, it cannot be uh, emphasized enough. Cliff, when you think about this, give me your thoughts on this one. Uh, this is something. And again, if America knew that their loved ones were suffering when they go behind that wall, this is why they talked earlier in regards to we made a there was a law made under the Bush administration that talked about uh, uh, penalties for rape in, in penitentiaries and in places of incarceration. And like the lady said, why do we have to make a law for you not to rape somebody uh, in prison? Cliff, your thoughts? Well, it shows the, uh, the lack of oversight, the lack of accountability, the lack of anything reasonable that uh, suddenly now you have to make you know, laws that are specific to prisons. The law should be the law. And the reason that these guards get away with the things that they do is because they know about the loopholes in the law. They know that uh, prisoners' rights are basically stripped away. You can do whatever you want to to a prisoner, and there is no accountability for it because you basically uh, can hide your actions behind the wall and when you go back into society the prisoner you know when they say like yeah when you're behind the wall you have no voice people don't understand how uh you know actually true that is because you could you could be uh, an inmate and you're saying okay well uh somebody raped me now making a complaint i'm i'm sending a letter to the warden that letter may or may not ever get anywhere past the trash can that's the closest to your cell that letter may never get anywhere uh, near the person in authority that can that can make the change. You can make a complaint, and the person that you're making the complaint to can can basically trash your issue. Say, well, hey, you're an inmate. Really, you know, my take is you don't you don't deserve any rights. So I'm not going to push it any farther up the ladder than, uh, like I said, than the trash can around the corner. 
these are the reasons that we we have to take on prison reform. We have to get accountability and get a inspection that is, you know, uh, not not something that you say, okay, we'll we'll be there in a month to to inspect your facility. Give them the date and the time, how many people are going to be there, exactly what they're going to check. They need to show up, do inspections on the fly. And say, uh, look, we need to find out what exactly is going on. You know, we've had Gary York on the show several times, and he used to be a, a prison inspector. And he said he used to show up in the middle of the night. And, of course, they ostracized him for it, uh, wanting to bring him up on charges because he was exposing the things that were going on behind the wall. And one of them is uh, the sexual abuse that happens in prisons. And if we don't expose it, if we don't uh, for some accountability for the people who are over these prisons, the people who are doing these acts, then they come out and it's like it's like to them they uh, they go into a whole nother world where there is no accountability for them or any action that they have, and that has to be changed. No, absolutely right, Lisa. Give, let me get your thoughts. I'm going to share a story here real quickly uh, from Rewired News. Josephine Yurkaba writes this story. This is January of this year, but Lisa, let me get your thoughts on, on this discussion. Um, how sick is this? Well, I'm not quite sure you really have to ask how sick is it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's beyond anything you're even going to go to as far as sickness. It just, I mean, it's, I, I heard the lady before when we talked about this before saying that it doesn't make sense that we have to have a law to put something in place to say that you can't rape inmates, you can't rape people in prison. That shouldn't be, that is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life that you have to tell, that has to be something that has to be laid out because the inmates are treated like they're not human. If they treated people like as if they were human beings and they all had their same human rights as all the rest of us, then it wouldn't be, I mean, it was, I think it's something that would still be going on, but it wouldn't be such a big issue as it is now because it's not taken seriously and it's treated like it's not an issue or like it's not anything big when it's something very big. Oh, absolutely right. And, uh, from Rewire News, says here, for survivors of prison rape, saying Me Too isn't an option. The public thinks criminals deserve the sexual abuse they suffer while incarcerated, and there is a persistent belief that they do not have rights. Rodney Smith said the two men who cornered him on his first day in a Louisiana jail a decade ago were big. At age 23, he had been arrested for check fraud earlier that day. He recalled them towering over him. He tried to stand up, but one of them pushed him down. He pleaded with his eyes to the other men in the cell, but they either turned their backs or continued watching silently. When the first man exposed his genitals to Smith and demanded Smith perform all sex on him, Smith said he did it because he just wanted to be left alone. But then more men approached him and demanded the same one after the other. I blacked out in a sense. I'm crying in my mind the whole time, but I'm not literally bawling crying. But I know I'm tearing up because I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of this. But what do I do in this situation? Smith, who is using a uh, uh, pseudonym. pseudonym, thank you, Lisa, for safety reasons, told Rewire in a recent phone interview, a jail guard didn't walk by the cell until after the assault stopped, he said. When Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement, she hoped it would elevate the voices of survivors of sexual abuse, especially the voices of women of color. Although Burke's Me Too has molded into a viral movement and hashtag made famous mostly by celebrities and those who have access to platforms like Twitter, 
the survivors whose abuse are actually facing consequences are still mostly white women with resources and power. Some women with privilege are attempting to be better allies to those often erased from these conversations by putting money behind their words. But some members of marginalized groups like people in prison who've experienced abuse while incarcerated have no voice. Samson, your thoughts on that? And again, voices. We become that voice. Absolutely. For these men we, and women. We have to speak out. We have to, you know, do something. Because, I mean, again, I mean, like Lisa said, like if they, they get behind the wall, people don't see them as human. People don't see them as having human rights. I mean, if there's a law outside of the prison that says, hey, don't go rape people, don't kill people, there should not have to be a separate set of laws just because there's a wall, a fence, and some barbed wire up. And exactly. The, and they're blessed well be sure sure be some accountability for those guards i mean they should be held to an even higher standard because they their actions bring reproach but i mean these acts that are being performed on these people these just inhumane disgusting acts being pulled by other inmates by by correctional officers by whoever and it's being condoned because nobody's doing anything about it I mean, it's, it's an atrocity. It's nothing that anybody outside of a prison system would stand for. Well, and, and the article, good point, Samson, uh, the article goes on to say that the public seems to care less about the stories of incarcerated survivors than others. As Victoria Law has reported, it does not work as hard to end their abuse or the normalization of abuse in prisons. The result is a culture of sexual violence so extreme that speaking out could put prison abuse survivors in serious danger. The mainstream Me Too movement as cultural efforts fall short for them. Reporting sexual abuse can always put a survivor in danger, but in prison, that threat is elevated because survivors are either detained alongside their abusers or their abusers the one who holds the key to their cell. We've seen the power wielded by an abusive person like Harvey Weinstein, says Jesse Lerner King, King Lake, excuse me, Communications director for Just Detention International, a nonprofit whose mission is to end sexual abuse in detention centers worldwide. But for inmates, the stakes are raised because even if they could participate in these hashtags, then their personal safety would be very much at risk. Often that means their stories go untold and do not receive the kind of attention necessary for real change. And I'll tell you right now, it's completely inexcusable. To have guards, and I'll tell you right now, when he said no guards walk by, guards are continually walking by every 10 minutes, every five minutes, if, especially if people are out of their cells or depending on the, the type of facility you're at, there is constant monitoring. But the bottom line is they walk by and they don't care. So all of a sudden now we're counting them up where the prisons are after the assault is complete, which means I can't file a report. Because I chose not to look. I chose not to say anything. And I'll tell you right now, if somebody is getting raped in prison, it's not a quiet situation. It is people know what's going on behind the wall. And for society, and, and a great uh, piece by this reporter here for Rewired News, is very true. How don't these young ladies in these prisons question what are men doing working dominating in women prisons? What are you doing? But nowadays... You got, you got the same threat by female guards who want to rape female women. Yeah, it's true. Like that, that, clip, that, that clip that was playing, talking about, uh, they want to say that it's too expensive 
to get male guards to guard male prisoners and female guards. To ma- I mean, come on. That's hogwash. Really? I mean, come- yep. there, there's so much money that's thrown around these prisons. There's no way possible that they could ever justify having to have, you know, mixed gender guards, you know, versus the prisoner count. I mean, there's, there's, there's just no reason except for the fact that they're perpetuating this type of action behind the wall because they use it as a form of second punishment on these people that they think that they they think they deserve it no no absolutely right and this again this, these are things that are just inexcusable uh and it's it's right she she makes a good point this is a culture of sexual violence behind the wall they're untouchable and here's the here's the sickest part of it all these inmates are vulnerable and she made the statement in that piece your abuser may actually have the key to your cell door. So at the end of the day, you have no way to defend it. You have no way to say, hey, they stopped, they did. That is a culture of really helplessness because you don't have the power in that house, in these jails, behind that wall. You have no power. And you can say whatever you want to say, uh, this is something that, uh, has to be looked at. And right now, we're going to have the privilege uh, of having Kathy Morse get into this conversation with us. And we got a lot to cover tonight, folks. And I'll tell you, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Are you with us? I am here. How are you? We're doing okay. And I hope you are the same. I am. And I've been listening to your conversation and getting sick. <laughs> sure. Sick to my Stick to my stomach because I've experienced it. I know people who have experienced it. So it, it kind of, um, it hits home for me. Sure. And, and that, you know, we always send that invitation out to you because you bring a lot to the conversation. And as I said earlier, as we started this show, this is a difficult one. Uh, because Very the, difficult. Yes. And I appreciate your courage to, to be able to talk about it and to hopefully – uh, empower others to feel free to talk about these issues that change might be implemented in this implemented implemented excuse me in this nation and in these uh, prisons mm-hmm. and jails in this country. So we I appreciate your courage for that. I really do. Um, let me ask you a question, Kathy. We talk about and what I just stated was the vulnerability, uh, and I don't know how else to put it other than a complete culture of helplessness. That if something is, that's why I said there has to be a check and balance system within our prisons because there are inmates that want to come forward and say, this happened to me. And here's what's so tragic. The Me Too movement says, give people a voice. Give them the courage to come forward. You can't divide that along incarcerated lines. Rape is rape. And abuse is abuse, no matter how you look at it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And to me, uh, the, the, when she wrote in this article, she said that the society as a whole believes that if, and I don't believe, I believe everybody believes this, but a great number of people believe, well, if you're in prison, you deserve what you get. That is the most. No one deserves that. Deserves that. Give me your thoughts on that. Just, Kevin. Yeah. Just be, just because you're incarcerated doesn't mean that you're a sitting duck. Doesn't mean um, that. Um, and I hear it. You know, well, if you if you don't want to be raped, then don't go to prison. Or, you know, if you don't want this to happen to you, then don't go to prison. You're the one who put yourself there. And, yes, you're absolutely right. I broke the law. I 
should have been punished. I deserve to be punished. I acknowledge that. Um, but I don't deserve to be raped. I don't deserve to be sexually assaulted. And therein lies the problem. Okay. Um, yeah, I deserve to be punished, but that's the extent of it. Um, I'm not put in there to become prey for somebody else. And that's what happens. And that's exactly what happens. Um, and yes, people do look the other way that this stuff goes on and you mean to tell me that you don't know, know what's going on. We know what's going on. The other people who are in the facility know what's going on. Um, in some instances with some of the officers, the women would joke about it because they knew they're like, Oh, there he goes with his girlfriends. So they knew it was a culture they knew about, but nobody, nobody speaks up about it. And there's a variety of reasons that nobody speaks up about it. Um, and the biggest is the believability. Yes. And the, um, you know, well, it's your word against their word. And who's going to believe you? You know, you broke the law. No, and absolutely. it's very, it, it, it's hard. And they don't, you know, and then if you do report it, they've got their own officers investigating it. It's not an outside investigator who comes in. Yeah. It's... Um, and, you know, I had two instances, one which I never did report. Um, and then the second, which I did not want to report, but because I had a panic attack afterwards and started screaming, you know, don't touch me, stay away from me. Um, and it was following a court trip that it happened on. Um, when I got back to the facility, I had the panic attack and I wouldn't let anybody near me. And I said, don't touch me. And they called an alarm and they tried to get me down to medical and I was still screaming, don't touch me, get away from me. And because I was saying this, they traced back to where I was that day and they realized I was on a court trip and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. So several days later, they had the detectives from the district district attorney's office come in and speak to me. Now, I did not ask for it. I did not ask to speak to them. I did not say, look, I want to file a report. I never asked for it. They interviewed me, and I didn't hear anything for about a month, a month and a half. And then they came back and picked me up, and they said, oh, we're, we're taking you out. And I thought, oh, they're taking me back to the district attorney's office because they want to get a formal statement from me. No, they were rearresting me for filing a false police report. After you, after you had to, after you went through sexual assault, they now after turned, everything right, they turned it on me, and, and I didn't want to report it. And I want to make that perfectly clear. I never at one time did I say I want to speak to the authorities. I want to file a formal report. You know, I want to speak to the inspector general's office. Nothing. Okay, they yep. took it upon themselves because I was on a court trip. So it, w- it fell into the jurisdiction of the district attorney's office for them to send their detectives to speak to me. And, you know, I kind of sort of said some of what happened. I just wasn't, I didn't want to discuss it. And then a month and a half later, they came back and picked me up and took me back and rearrested me for filing of a false police report. 
Sounds like to me. Okay. So the first instance, I never reported it um, when I was sexually assaulted at Rikers. I did not report it. I never said a thing to anybody. Um, It wasn't until I was released from there. And then I still didn't even, there's still, you know, stuff that I don't even, it's more and more starting to come out because I'm getting more comfortable with telling the story, but I will never report it. Um, And then I had a second incident on a trip, a a trip to court where. Did we lose her? Did we lose her? Let's try to get her back. Um, an estimated 200,000 people held in United States prisons and jails every year face sexual abuse. According to the most recent Bureau of Justice Statistics study released in 2013, inmates who reported their sexual orientation as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or other faced, or other faced abuse from other inmates at a rate 10 times higher than inmates who identify as straight, according to the same BJ, BJS report. And these statistics get worse as marginalized demographics overlap. Of inmates with serious psychological distress who are non-heterosexual, 21% reported sexual abuse in prison, while 14.7% reported abuse in jail. Smith thought the abuse in the holding cell of Orleans Paris prison was over once a guard finally called his name so he could be processed in. He was moved to the receiving tier of the jail. In the back, there are showers, and each inmate, excuse me, in the back, there were showers, of course, placed in this jail, and each inmate waits in line until it's his turn to go in. But when Smith entered the shower, someone else followed behind him. He tells me specifically, just real hard and dry, he's like, face the wall, don't turn around, Smith said, and he feels bigger now. He didn't feel as big, but I remember him being gigantic. He was like a monster almost. Smith recalled to Rewire that the man put his arm around his throat, told him that if he screamed, he would break his neck, and then raped him. Smith stood in the shower for almost an hour after when he left. The other mates were laughing and smirking at him. Because he came into the shower, I was owned by him, Smith said. I was now his property. He was my man, my husband, whatever you want to call it, and he made the decisions for me. I was for him. Dennis, uh, and I'm going to get to you in a moment. Let's let make sure we have Kathy back. But we we got disconnected from her. Kathy, uh, are you back with us? Well, I'm back, yes. Okay. So I don't know what happened, but we're glad you're back. Uh, and I'm going to get right back to you here in a moment. Uh, we just was sharing a little bit about an assault. That I happened heard in- the story, yes. Yeah. And here's the problem that people never look at. When we turn a blind eye to these issues in these prisons, in these jails, now that young man being laughed at coming out that shower mm-hmm. is, what, is what prompts a person to get a sheet, hang it from wherever they can, and take their life. It's bigger than the rape because mentally, psychologically, you cannot deal with that. And every day you're known, and and I'm going to tell you on the inside, you're known as whatever word or adjective you use in that sense. That's what you're known as. And he made the statement, I'm this guy's man now. There's no getting away. 
And I remember doing my wrongful incarceration. Kathy, and I want to get back to your story. I want to share this real quickly. Uh, there was a young man that came in at the University Prison here in Colorado. And they got you in a place called A&O, where they process folks in when you get there. It's where if you stay in a little, man, that, that cell is so small. And I remember a guy coming in. We were out doing, they call them out time for about 30 to 45 minutes. People are taking showers. They're on the phones. Uh, and this guy walks in. He had just got processed in, but he was scared to death. And I never will forget it. Uh, one of the guys sitting down said, that belongs to me. And I'm, I'm turning around like, what are you talking about, man? Don't nobody mess with that. That's mine. And I remember the look on that young boy's face. He had to be no older than 21, 22 years old. And I remember, uh, not shortly after that, I was in the shoe, the hole, uh, for some nonsense. And they brought him in. And I was looking up, because in Buena Vista, you have bars. It's not like a closed door. You have bars, so you can see everybody coming in and out. And he came in. They had him in what they call a turtle suit. It's green. Uh, and that's it. It's kind of, you know, you wear it over. It's like a vest you put on, but you put it over your, over your head and it just hangs there. That's all you got on. And when he came in, he looked at me and he said, I'm scared. Please help me. And when he got out of that, he said he was because he was getting ready to try to take his life. Apparently, the guys had approached him. The guy that said, this is mine. It was not longer than a probably two weeks after I was out of there, he was out of there, we were in the same unit. You, you couldn't even recognize this young man. And what they call in the, in the penitentiary is that he was turned out. Totally. Eyeshadow, makeup, uh, ponytails, if you will, I mean gone uh, in the penitentiary. He had become this guy's uh, woman, so to speak, if you will. Uh, so I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand, and I was so alarmed. Like, man, and that's how quick it happens in the penitentiary. But if there was checks and balances, you wouldn't have those issues. Kathy, your thoughts on that, and please let's go back to your what you were saying, if you remember uh, that. Yeah, but let's do the, the young man first. Um, yeah. Yes, it does go on. That they... There is a hierarchy in the in the facil- in the men's facilities at least um when you've got these um, not 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 even necessarily young guys coming in but somebody who's coming in for the first time and who is is obviously you can see that they're scared um and the guys who've been there for a while that it's not their first time being incarcerated immediately sense that it's like it's like they smell it and um i know the people that i know have referred to it as being fresh meat is what they call it um and yeah and and absolutely they say that's mine he's mine and um if the target or you know does not fight back or defend himself he will become there, and they there's another word that they they call them, and it begins with a B. Right. 
um, and they will become that B for their entire stay. Absolutely right. And uh, it says here on that young man, shortly after the rape, Smith's abuser had to leave the jail. So he told Smith to another, he told, he sold Smith. Let me, let, let me say that again, just in case you didn't understand what I just said. He sold the inmate for $20 of commissary. So now what that means is I'm passing my B, as you stated, Kathy, to you. But it's going to cost, so I'm going to auction this young man for commissary. And I'm going to tell you $20 basically comes down to some soups and stamps. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pimp this person out. Exactly right. Exactly right. So you can imagine for, for lack of better word, that's exactly what they're doing. I'm going to pimp is. this person out. Yep. He said, uh, over the next eight months, Smith's new husband forced him to clean, make both of their beds, fold his laundry, and always be available for sexual acts. He also used Smith to settle his basketball gambling debts. Every time the team would lose, he would owe somebody, and guess what he would use? He would use me and my services to pay somebody, inmate, inmate Smith says. I mean, this is, this is some sick. Cliff, give me your thoughts on this one. This is the fact that it's allowed, it, and I'm going to tell you, it starts with the warden. It starts at the top of that institution. How is that allowed in our prison? This is jail here. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it, it's not like nobody sees this going on. Nobody in the staff, nobody in authority, nobody who can change the situation. It's not like this, oh, this is hidden. This is only going on in the in the cell. When you see a person change their character from, you know, hey, I came in as a young man and now uh, I'm walking around and, and I'm totally different from the person that I was and, and – uh, the warden knows, the correctional officers knows, everybody knows what's going on here. And that's the thing is, why is there no action taking place to say, look, we are going to put a stop to this? Because like Kathy said, I mean, this is, this is, this is pimping. It's what it is. You, you are allowing the inmates to run a prostitution ring with, and there's no accountability. Nobody is, is, Nobody's being held guilty for what's going on. Uh, so so the, the warden is basically allowing like, okay, well, this is legal sexual assault as far as the other inmates are concerned. So if the inmates are allowed to do it, why wouldn't the staff feel like it's okay for them to do it? It's like, well, warden, you, you turn a, a, a blind eye and a deaf ear to the cries of the inmates when it's inmate against inmate. So why shouldn't the staff say, okay, well, I'm going to take part in it. Where is someone standing up saying that this is not going to be allowed on on any level in this facility? And like you said, it starts at the warden saying, look, we're going to come in, we're going to clean house, and we're going to make sure this type of activity is not going on. It, there has to be some level of accountability there, and it has to start at the top to where the warden says this is not going to be acceptable if I find it. Not only am I going to stop it, not only are you going to lose your job, but you will be brought up on charges, not for being only involved in it, but also if you knew that it was going on and you did nothing, 
you will be brought up on charge as an accessory to rape. Look, when he was told that he'd have to use, he said he would use me and my services to pay somebody. And if he said no, his so-called husband Smith says he would be slapped, punched, or choked, and there would be always a threat of more or worse violence, which is why he didn't report the abuse. In 2003, President Bush signed the Prison Rape Elimination Act, PREA, and the Department of Justice updated it with standards in 2012. Those standards outline ways prisons and jails can prevent, detect, and respond to sexual abuse. They include third-party reporting requirements, which are supposed to protect incarcerated people who are abused by staff from retaliation, mandatory access to rape crisis counseling. I'm going to stop right there. There is you no fault. Go ahead. That Kathy. doesn't go on. You have to, do you know how many prisons and how many jails have still yet to adopt and fully put into place PREA? That's right. There's no 800 I, I mean, I, can't, I mean, they are still in New York City alone. They are still fighting with the, the Board of Corrections to properly implement PREA that they have reports of sexual assault going back to 2015 and earlier that have still not yet been investigated. Well, the, uh, the Priya situation, I'm going to tell you okay. right now. Listen, to our listeners out there, let me be clear. And I'm going to echo what Kathy is saying. There is no 800 number that, excuse me. Inmate number 25, let's go down here to the office, and we're going to make an 800 call because you were raped today. It doesn't nope. exist. That's all, that's all smoke and mirrors, folks. And like Kathy said, and to, well, And to make matters worse, they yep. investigate their own. So they're not going they to investigate. There's not an independent agency that does it. There's nothing. Um. And who's, I mean, who, please, who's going to, I mean, you, it's like reporting rape in your own house and, you know, getting raped in your own house, reporting it in your own house. It's just, it boggles the mind. Okay. And the yeah. thing is, is it goes on in every prison and every jail in this country. I mean, this is, listen, you can watch TV all day long and movies all day long. These are nightmares. The guy says if he reports, you sold a human being. You're human trafficking. You mm-hmm. sold a human being for $20 of commissary. Are you kidding me? You have to be kidding me. But make no mistake. And you know, but you were talking a little bit earlier about the wardens being aware of it and the officers being aware. And you know why they allow it to continue? Because it keeps the peace. Wow. Violence keeps the peace in Americans' prisons and jails. Well, sexual assault keeps the peace. Yeah, because people are getting whatever they're getting. Kathy, listen, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to finish this story, and then I'm going to finish what you were talking about, if that's okay. okay. You have back with us? That's fine. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, this is uncomprehendable to me, and I guarantee you, if many of our listeners feel the same way, $20, your human, excuse me, 
You are allowing human trafficking, prostitution, whatever you want to call it. Yes, and, and Kathy made it clear. You're pipping out inmates for some uh, ramen noodle soup. You got to be kidding me right there. We're coming back with this story. Gary York's going to be joining us in this conversation as well here at about 15 minutes after the hour tonight. Kathy bringing a clear perspective. Kathy Moore's. Folks, this is serious business, and we're just getting started. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he took all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. 
Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall. Voices of victims of sexual assault. One of the most horrific epidemics, if you will, happening in, a, in county jails, America's prisons across this nation. And I'll tell you what, it's not getting any better because you have staff members involved with sexual assault on inmates as well. You have correctional officers turning the, really turning their eyes away from the assaults. You have threats and acts of retaliation made by correctional officers you have threats made by inmates to say that if you say anything we'll kill you because they'll just have one more in line that they can assault this is tragic joining us tonight our very special honored guest uh 
Kathy Morris has chimed in in this conversation tonight. And uh, I'll tell you what, Kathy, thanks so much for uh, coming back with us uh, on this issue. And we were talking prior to the break uh, about PREA, uh, which is the uh, legislation that was signed into law uh, by President George W. Bush. It's called the Prison Rape Elimination Act, PREA, that is supposed Mm -hmm. to deal with these issues. And and as me and Kathy both agreed, it don't exist. I mean, you, you're you lucky to make a phone call uh, with money on your books to call out. You're lucky that that does, is not interrupted on a consistent basis. So if you think there's an 800 hotline room in county jail that you can go to and report, you're sadly mistaken. And it says here that states can choose whether to comply with PREA. That's another act of insanity. Since 2012, 48 states are either working toward compliance with PREA or they are fully compliant. According to Just Detention International, two states, Utah and Arkansas, have rejected the act entirely. I'm going to stop right there. Why? How do you say, uh, okay, it's... There's a law in the land that uh, rape, sexual abuse, sexual assault, uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever uh, happens in in the context of um, attacking another individual sexually, that's against the law. I mean, that that's understood. How is it that first off you have to say, okay, well, we're going to also make it against the law in prisons? Then when you say, okay, well, everybody on the planet, animals know that to sexually assault another living thing is against nature. How do you say we're not going to uphold that well, as a state and the people in your state? I mean, what, what, what states did you say that was? Utah and Arkansas. Utah and Arkansas. So you're saying Utahans, Arkansanians, whatever you call yourselves. You're saying, well, we're we're a state of rapists, and we don't want laws on the book that keeps us from raping another human being. Is well, that what they're saying? Well, here's your problem. This is what's insane. This was implemented in 2003. Three. We're 2018. In 2012, 48 states are either working toward. You're not working toward anything. This was 2003. What do you mean working toward? says here uh, that uh, states that are working toward compliance can provide assurances of their progress. States that fail to file assurances or that reject PREA outright are subject to a 5% financial penalty in funding they receive from the Justice Department. Are you Okay. We're going to just find you as your inmates and prisoners continue to be raped violently in your institution. We're not going to bring you up on charges for violation of law, give you a fine. This is what, Kathy, this is why things don't work. There's no enforcement of this law, just like you stated. This isn't happening. And if you're telling me 5% is all I lose, I can just keep the sex ring going. Your thoughts, Kathy? Yep. The states 
and the um, the local jails, including the federal prisons, have been trying to get out of this since it was enacted. Um, some states kind of sort of have it, but they're still trying to um, work it out, how they're going to implement it. They're figuring out where they're going to get the funding to implement it because they say that it's going to require, you know, hiring of staff because they have to have PREA staff on, you know, available. So they're saying, you know, well, we don't have the funding. Um, a place like Rikers, okay, that has seven, seven facilities on one island. Well, how are they going to roll it out? Well, they're going to roll it out one facility by, by, you know, at a time over a period of five years. So you're saying you're going back to 2012 when it was implemented, we're 2018, and Rikers is saying that they're going to roll it out over five years, but they're still fighting back and forth about how they're going to implement it. Well. Okay. Um, some states, like New Jersey, has reporting. New Jersey started reporting in 2016. Right now at the New Jersey Women's State Facility, the U.S. Attorney General's Office has stepped in because there is a very high number of sexual assaults by male staff against the female inmates. I am going to play so a clip. It, it, it's, it's a failure. It's not working. PREA is not working. I don't care what anybody says. It's not working. It's not being enforced. Um, oh. And as a result, there is a serious epidemic in the United States involving sexual assault against detainees and inmates. And I say that because detainees are people who haven't yet been sentenced, whereas inmates are have been sentenced and they're serving their time. So I just want to make that, that distinction there that you have it going on in jails as well as prisons. And you have it going on within the federal facilities through the Bureau of Prisons as well. Well, if there's and, a prison jail, uh, it's happening. It's happening there. Right. Uh, and it's happening, in, and it's it's an epidemic. We're not just talking about isolated cases. We are talking about a serious epidemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree and with nobody, you. And nobody is talking about it. I think what has started it is the whole Me Too movement. And and now we're talking about the hashtag Me Too behind bars. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that's something that I actually promote is you know and 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 post on social media about every opportunity I get is the Me Too behind bars. Just to remind people that yeah, it does go on in jails and prisons. Well, the insane part about it is. The folks behind bars is somebody's mom, somebody's sister. There's somebody's mom. There's somebody's sister. There's somebody's aunt. There's somebody's girlfriend. There's somebody's wife. Okay? Just like, you know, just like people in the community who are Me Too, it's the same thing. There's somebody's mother. There's somebody's wife. There's somebody's daughter. There's somebody's sister. Okay? Yep. But the people who are incarcerated if it's happening don't have the liberties and the opportunities or the freedom to speak out about it. Absolutely. And again, voices from behind the wall. Uh, this is why we started the series 18, I believe, or 19 shows ago. 
uh, to bring to the attention of listeners across this country. Right now, we're going to hear from, let's hear the perspective of Mr. Boyce Watkins, uh, what he has to say about prison rape. Let's hear it. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, hit on is I want to talk a little bit about prison rape. And prison rape is something that uh, so many people have become accustomed to making jokes about. Uh, But what I really want to help you understand is that this is not something that should be made fun of. This is not something that is funny. This is something that is very serious. And one of the things I will say is that I think that part of the reason that we think prison rape is funny or we overlook it or we don't think it's an issue is twofold. One, uh, typically abuse toward black people is not considered to be as serious as abuse uh, if if it were happening to, say, young white kids. For example, a young white woman gets kidnapped or or gets, uh, you know, raped or something like that. It's national news. Everybody wants to talk about it. Nancy Grace is going crazy. But uh, 10,000 black men get raped in prison. Nobody says a word. Nobody gives a damn. Uh, sexual assault on college campuses has become this huge issue where they're using these crazy inflated statistics about, uh, you know, how many how many people are being assaulted, and they broaden the definition of sexual assault so they can incarcerate as many people as possible, which um, to some extent is okay in the sense that you're if you're catching real predators, I'm okay with that. But what's so interesting is that nobody cares about catching the predators who are raping prison inmates, uh, many of whom are not uh, the dastardly animals that you've been led to believe they are. Uh, I think, and I think that leads to the second reason that we tend to overlook prison rape and think that it's not a problem. Uh, we tend to think prison rape's okay because society has taught us that people who go to prison are just bad people. That basically, if you go steal a, a jar of cookies and you get locked up for a year, then you're a bad person, which therefore means you deserve whatever punishment, whatever penalty happens to you while you're in prison. If you didn't want to get raped, you shouldn't have stole those cookies. Well, there you have it. It's a thought process, a culture that is insane. At its at minimum, it's insanity at its largest level. If that is honestly what people believe, we have a problem in this country. Uh Right now, joining in, to, in, in the conversation with us, along with Kathy Morris, Gary York. Uh, he's been a previous guest on this show, and uh, we are honored to have him tonight, uh, along with, uh, with Kathy Morris, in this conversation. Gary, are you with us? Yes, sir, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Gary, thanks so much for taking can I the time. Just, I, can I just ask Gary how he's surviving the hurricane? Sure. Uh, Thank you very much. I feel um, uh, very sad for the people in North Florida. Um, I'm in Central Florida, so it missed us, but it really wreaked havoc on uh, North Florida. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me say this. Uh, Our thoughts and prayers go out to those families. Anybody affected by Hurricane, is it Michael? Hurricane Michael. Yeah. Anybody affected? by that, our thoughts and prayers are with you tonight. Thank you, Kathy, for bringing that back up. Uh, and, yeah, by uh, the way, they did not evacuate some of the prisons and jails down there. That, that's yeah. correct. I, I, they did not. Yeah, and that was the same issue on the last hurricane, wasn't it? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, Virginia and North Carolina evacuated. South Carolina did not, but they didn't have any deaths in the facilities. What happened was they were transporting two female inmates uh, for a mental health appointment after the hurricane had been over and they started the cleanup. And the women got trapped in and drowned in a van. They were being driven to this appointment by two deputies. It was a flash flood. Yeah. Yep, I heard about that. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families uh, and anyone affected by the, by Hurricane Michael and, of course, the other hurricane that wasn't too far. Uh, was it Florence? Hurricane Florence. So our thoughts and prayers, folks. It uh, is hurricane yeah. season, uh, and, and our thoughts are with uh, those folks down there. Thanks, Kathy, for bringing that up as well. And Gary, thank you. we're grateful that you're safe uh, and it did uh, bypass your area. We appreciate that as well. Thank, so thank you. you. Thank you very much. All right, Gary, now we're in conversation, uh, victims from, uh, excuse me, voices from behind the wall, victims of sexual assault, uh, dealing with this issue of some serious grotesque and sick thinking uh, that's happening in our prisons and jails across this country, and rapes are at an all-time high, sexual assault at an all-time high in this nation. Uh, Give me your thoughts on that, Gary, and, and were you privy to some of this, some of these specifics? Uh, in your work. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, I was uh, 12 years as a Florida prison inspector. I've investigated uh, sexual assault of inmates by staff, and I've also investigated uh, sexual assault inmate on inmate. And it's very unfortunate that this is more prevalent than people know, and it's more prevalent than prison management wants to um, to, to say it is. Um, we have several problems. Uh, a lot of these sexual assaults by staff or inmate on inmate are not being reported. Um, sometimes we have an issue with management not wanting to report these issues, overlooking that this is happening in their prison, and ignoring reports of sexual abuse on inmates. Now, I know we have Priya Prison uh, Rape Elimination Act, and there's a big issue with that, uh, whether it works or not. And, you know, anything that you put into place is only as good as the people reporting it. And unfortunately, during years of investigation, we would find sometimes that management to save embarrassment does not always report everything. Um, We would sometimes hear through the grapevine of uh, sexual assault and we would go and investigate that. But we can only investigate what we know, and it is very unfortunate that these uh, uh, sexual assaults behind the prison walls are being kept silent. Um, Right now at Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala, Florida, female prison, the Department of Justice is now involved, and it's a good thing that they have gotten involved. Uh, Big investigation going on on that. You'll probably hear more later. The investigation is ongoing, and so there is no report out yet. But there's already been uh, one arrest that I know of. I cannot state names, times, places right now. Um, I was contacted by the Department of Justice just to ask what I have done in the past. I cannot say what's happening right now at the moment 
I can only tell what I have uh, investigated in the past. But I can tell you right now there is an investigation going on at Lowell, which has had a history of staff members, um, you know, I call it rape. They're using their power and position to have sex with female inmates. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. And that's the sickness. It's an abuse of power. There's no other way Correct. to say it. You are a be- – listen – Anybody, this is what's so sick about it. You very seldom hear of a conviction of someone who is sexually assaulting inmates in prisons. They lose their jobs. Some of them lose their job. This is what I call unequal justice in this country. How is it if I have somebody and I go to their house and I assault them and I force myself to have sex with them, I'm getting arrested and I'm going to prison. That's the bottom Correct. line. Someone explain to me. How is that different I, from correctional officers who simply have a co- it's not Go ahead. Go ahead, Gary. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's no, not please, different. And the problem is, here's what's happening. I can tell you from my own experience, I, I've done investigations, substantiated uh, that uh, a staff member has sex with an inmate. And we send it to the state attorney, and the next thing I know, I have to follow my case files because uh, when when the court is done with the case, I have to submit a uh, one-page, one-paragraph uh, submission on what the outcome was. And most of the time, the outcome was probation, not jail, not wow. prison. Sometimes they would get a short jail sentence. Many would lose their job and certification, and that was it. Now, I would sit back and think we did all this work, and we've proven sexual assault, and they're going to go home to their house tonight. But if it was me on the street, I would never go home again. I would go to jail, to court, and prison. Right. So... I know where you're coming from, and and that is the truth. When you, what you just said earlier, that is happening. You know, they're they're allowing plea deals to go through. They're saying they have no prior record. You know, the defense attorney says, "Look here, this officer has no prior record." Well, of course they don't. They wouldn't have been hired if they had a record, but they just committed a felony uh, rape. So okay. how are you not getting more of a sentence than? Yeah, I can give you a recent example of three officers who they had they they had the evidence they had DNA evidence against them. They raped this one uh, detainee at Rikers in particular, and the DA's office refused to bring charges to press charges against the officers. Right. Um, the woman sued, and she did win. She got a settlement of $425,000. But the off, one of the officers is still working. The two others were removed from their jobs. The union paid for their attorneys, and they got fined $425 each. Mm. Raping someone. But one is still on the job. For raping someone. Yep. A woman. Repeat, not once, but repeatedly. 
So you have the significance of a traffic ticket in speeding in a school zone. Mm-hmm. With raping. That's just unbelievable. And Kathy's correct. You know, I, I I followed some of Kathy's stuff. She she's she knows what's going on. She was uh, she knows from uh, from Rikers and all those places. And I know from Florida uh, what goes on. And uh, it's unfair because if an inmate rapes another inmate, and we can prove it. You know, you have to prove it first, but if you can prove that's it with the That's a new DNA, charge. That's a that's new a charge, charge, and they get what? another felony. So the yeah. inmate gets another charge, but I'm a uniformed officer who's supposed to be above and, and trusted, a public servant, and I'm supposed to be trusted, and I do it, and I don't get the same punishment as the inmate. There's, it's, um, it's, it's not right. It's... It's not only not right, it is unbelievable, except you understand, yeah. again, you just cannot wrap your hands around that. I have on some navy pants, some black boots, and a light blue shirt with a silver security guard badge on it. That gives me a license to rape without consequence. Without consequence. Well, there was, there was a case in New York State in a women's state facility, and the officer actually got the woman pregnant, um, and he is now serving six years. Six right, years. there are some cases like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's no. Listen, I'm pretty sure you got a few out there, but the big picture, there's no accountability. But overall, throw, no, you're right. So I can throw in a couple. Of, well, he got. You know what? He should have been thrown under the jail. You raped a vulnerable woman, impregnated her. We're going to give you six years, and how much of that six years does he do? Honestly, how much? How much of that six years he does before he's eligible for the halfway house, which is probably eighteen months prior to his parole eligibility date, in most cases. Well, they, the other issue is they now have to register as a sex offender. They lose their pension. Sure. So they so they feel that that is ample. Punishment, and it's not enough because at the end oh, of the day, not. here's the problem: at the end of the day, he can petition the court and ask that he be removed off the sexual registry. The way politics yes. works in this country, I just petitioned the court because I was an officer. Who knows what judge you're going to get that says, "You know what? He suffered enough." I mean, that's just how messed up our system is. That's how messed up our system. You and there are no guarantees for true punishment. We either do an overkill, which we do. That's why we have mass incarceration now, or we do too little. And at the end of the day, you raped a woman and you get six years. I'm not worried about your job security or your pension. You raped a woman in a position of power. Six years ain't going to get it. But again, when you got no. the side. You thinking, uh, you know, with the perception that you deserve what you get. You're a prisoner. You're worthless. You're nothing. You're here because you did something wrong. So whatever happens to you behind these walls, you deserve it. And until we hold uh, uh, the security guards and hold other prison inmates accountable for their actions. So if you give one a felony charge, then you need to do it to all. It, uh, rape is a rape. No matter who commits it, 
you know, it's the, the same penalty should be across the board. And until we get to that position or that place in our justice system where there is no law for a prisoner, there is no law for a security guard, there is no law for black, there is no law for white, is law, period, for every man, woman, boy, and girl. If you break the law, this is the consequence. Oh, that's- and until we get there, we're going to continue to deal with situations like this. Well, that's, a, that's in a perfect world. doesn't exist here. Exactly. And, and you know what? I hate to say it. I don't see the culture changing. Somebody can point to me how Wait. it is drastically changing. And it's not. Number- we- Go ahead, Jerry. Well, it's not, and I didn't mean to cut, but we have, I'll give you an example. I just looked at an article on corrections1.com, and it's about how many mentally ill inmates we have locked up for up to six years. And um, the article on corrections1.com was actually for trying to help these mentally ill inmates. Now, correctional officers were putting their comments on this uh, page and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Here's some of the comments. And it's the same thing with rape. No different. Their comments are, too bad, too sad, you shouldn't have been here. Commit the crime, too bad, you know. And, it's, and I thought, these are officers making these statements. And I thought, how are we ever going to change for the better with our officers? Now, I'm sure, there, I know there's many officers that would not make those kind of statements, but officers are making these statements so what does that tell you it's not changing sure and that's the thing if something is not working this little five percent thing listen to this learner king lake of justice of just attention international said the assurances allow states and this is about priya to just kick the can down the road indefinitely deciding for themselves how quickly they'd like to implement priya despite the fact that sexual abuse at prisons is still rampant. So in 2016, Congress added a provision to PREA as part of the Justice for All Reauthorization Act that sunsets or ends the insurance option. By December 2022, states will no longer be able to issue assurances that they are working toward compliance with PREA to delay the financial penalty. Though there will be emergency assurances available to governors who can certify that 90% of their facilities have been audited. Emergency assurances will give states another two years to comply and avoid the 5% funding penalty. Because detention centers face little to no immediate threat of consequence for not complying with PREA, many problems facilities still persist. persist excuse me. FedEx says PREA only requires governors to report the compliance status of state prisons, leaving county jails, small prisons, and juvenile jails to fall through the cracks. There are 3,163 local jails in the United States, holding approximately 731,570 inmates, according to a 2013 census study by the BJS. So my thing with this is, listen to what that statement was. Juvenile detention centers have fallen through the cracks as far as compliance. That means we're allowing the rape of our how, it doesn't get lower than that. So these things that they're talking about is a bunch of nonsense. 5% penalty? 5%. So guess what? You know what most prisons and jails are going to say? Well, I get 95% still of my funding. 5%, we're still good. That's not, a, 
that's not a penalty. That's a joke. And it's not taken seriously. Gary and, and Kathy, I'm going to play a clip. I'm going to come back and get your thoughts. Let's hear it. These are serious, serious allegations. And if they're true, uh, I think the state is going to be responsible uh, for the activity of these employees of the state. A lawsuit against the Chowchilla Women's Prison claims guards physically abused several of their inmates. The complaint claims the guards made homophobic comments and even made sexual comments towards some of those victims. Action News North Valley reporter Natalie Granda is live in Chowchilla with why the women believe they were targeted. Natalie. Born in Graciela, the claims are shocking. The victims say they were denied medical care and even denied from complaining about the alleged incidents. Now, attorneys say that they want the alleged abuse to stop and for the state to pay for the pain they caused to the victims. Former and current Central Valley inmates claim they were physically abused and sexually humiliated by employees of the Chowchilla Women's Prison and believe it was because of their gender identities. When I went and heard the very graphic and quite sexualized nature of this particular incident, I was horrified. The complaint filed in November of last year claimed a former gender non-conforming prisoner, a transgender man, and two other women were abused by guards at the Central California Women's Facility and even denied medical care related to the injuries. One incident in 2015 alleges that an inmate was placed face down and an officer stepped on her exposed breast. Another inmate threatened to report a guard after he made a derogatory comment. She he claims he then slammed her to the ground and dragged his boot across her back. We've never seen anything like this in uh, in women's facilities, and certainly the fact that it was targeted against somebody who was really standing up for, um, in, in that one incident, really standing up for their rights. The complaint also says that guards forced a transgender inmate to walk around the prison with his pants around his ankles in 2017. A spokesperson for the California Department of Corrections says they haven't been notified of the lawsuit and can't comment at this time. Legal analyst Tony Capozzi says the suit calls for an injunction to stop the abuse and to pay for what they've done. The Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution prohibits any cruel and unusual uh, usual punishment. And if this is true, that's what's happening in this prison system. The complaint claims none of the guards were disciplined. Meanwhile, the victims all suffered mental and emotional drawbacks from the alleged abuse. Now, in, the re in a release, one of the victims says that she was, quote, singled out because of her gender and that, that we have, quote, the right to stand up for ourselves and take care of each other. Now, this lawsuit is in its very early stages. There is a hearing for this lawsuit in March. Live in Chowchilla, I'm Natalie Gronda, ABC 30, Action News. Well, there you have it. Uh, lawsuit filed regarding um, claims about in the women's prison that guards simply at random came in and just rapes, rapes these women uh, on the dime. This is what I'm going to do. And they feel comfortable in doing that because there are no consequences. That is the bottom line. Kathy, let's get your response first. Your thoughts on that? Um, you know, 
I'm just thoroughly disgusted with the entire situation as it stands. Um, And I think that the only way to bring about change is for people like ourselves to raise our voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary, your thoughts? Um, I just want you to know, it continues every day. It goes on every day. And I don't, you know what, Kathy? And I don't think people really comprehend the depth of that statement. This is not happening sparingly. Every day you get up, a number of people are going to be sexually assaulted in our prisons in Long Hills. Every yes. single day. That's, a, that, that's serious. That means you have a culture mm-hmm. problem. That's a culture problem, Samson. Gary, I'm coming right to you, Gary. Go ahead, Seth. No, I'm just sitting over here no just in my head because it's like it's it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. I mean, the statistics, the numbers that we see all the time talking about like 86% of women that are incarcerated suffer abuse of some type, either physical or sexual, while they're behind bars or sometimes throughout their life. I mean, that's a staggering statistic. 80% of them, and it's, it even says in the article that I read that the majority of them are women of color. Now, I don't know how how personal it has to get for people for them to really start speaking out and acting and start, you know, getting out like Dennis says and voting or, you know, becoming a voice to the people to try and change the legislature. How how close to your front door does it need to get for you to want to speak out on somebody else's behalf? Well, Samson, to that point, just as a human being, yeah, I'm sickened and saddened. And I got to hold back the tears here on this show when you hear women and men being assaulted and nothing. How does America turn a blind eye to sexual assault to any human being? Well, in prison and jails, it's easy. Yeah, but it's easy to do because people are incarcerated. We forget about them. They're not there. That's tragic. We go, we go on about our daily, everyday lives, and we don't need to worry about them because, well, you know what, we don't, we don't hear about it. So it's burying your head in the sand. And that's one of the biggest fears that people who are incarcerated have is that for everybody on the outside in the community, life goes on, and they continue with their lives. And, you know, they go to work, and they, they celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and holidays and everything else. But for you, you're incarcerated and you're locked away and you're forgotten about. And that's the problem. And and that's where, you know, we need to make this a public issue. Um, I know that Kanye West was at the White House today, and I know that they definitely did not talk about sexual assaults in correctional facilities. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that you will see anybody anywhere talking about Sexual assault in correctional facilities is me too behind bars. You will never see it. It's never the topic of a panel discussion or, you know, a day-long program or even an hour-long program. It's just not on people's radars. Right. You're right. And, Gary, your thoughts on that, and how do we get it on the radar? How do well, we get it on Kathy, the radar? Kathy's, uh, Kathy had mentioned it earlier. She's absolutely right. Uh, we have to work together by documentaries, films, books uh, to expose this. But we also have to somehow get into the politician's mind 
and she's absolutely right. You're Kathy. You're absolutely right. But, but they're not. They could care less, because I have talked to some politicians till I'm blue in the face in this area, where I'm at in Florida, and it's always to your face. Yes, yes, yes. We must work together. Yes, we must work together to fix this. And then you never hear from them again. They don't want to hear it. So we need to not stop. We must continue to expose this, and we must start electing uh, politicians that we can get to help us. That's the only way we're going to fix this problem. Because management has some power in these prisons until they get caught, and, and, but most of them um, have that good old boy system going on, and they do not, they want to do cover-ups, which, as you know from my books, I've written about cover-ups. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing going on in our prison systems about not reporting violations, covering up, and trying to keep the public from knowing what really goes on. And that's um, it's just not a good recipe. Uh, and, and I mean, well, don't get me wrong. I'm all for, you know, they have the, they're pushing this dignity for women and it's for the federal and it, it's providing sanitary products and things like that. But why aren't you pushing for sexual assault in the facilities that we need to stop sexual assault in correctional facilities? See, here's the problem. You need sanitary napkins in the women's prison. It's just humane to let to have those items, and I agree with you. You can't mass rape with a sanitary napkin or any yeah. other good thing that you This is why I talk about it, and this word has been used more tonight probably. That's insanity. Let's bring some cookies and milk uh, to the chow hall once a week so folks can enjoy some cookies and milk while, while your women and men are being raped the other days of the week. We're going to soften that with cookies and milk? Are you kidding me? Well, well, because rape is a very distasteful topic, and nobody wants to talk about it. Well, again, and I agree with you, Kathy. It's distasteful, but it's a horrific nightmare, as, as, and I'm sure you and Gary will agree. The act itself, so we don't want to talk about Well, you got to talk about it, because it's happening. And that woman who when that door shuts in Rikers Island at night and that door slams and in other prisons across this country, when that door shuts and that young man in county jail who walked into a shower to be assaulted and laughed at and mocked at when he walked out, these are, these are possible folks that say, you know what, I'm gonna, since no one is listening, I'm going to speak with suicide. I'm going to hang myself. I'll jump off the tier. Because I can't deal with the laughing and the mocking. That is the picture. And as ugly as it is, as horrific as it is, it's never going to change if we don't have this conversation that we're having tonight. Perhaps a mother Absolutely. or a mother sits on his couch listening to this show tonight and says, my daughter's at Rikers. My daughter is at this jail, at that jail. Is this happening to her? That's what causes America to become outraged. Because it's on my doorstep, and that's where yep. we have to message out. Go ahead, Gary. Well, I was going to say you hit a you hit a very good topic because um, psychologically, for these inmates, 
you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I have talked to psychologists, and, I ha- and they're having nightmares. They're having suicidal thoughts. You know, you talk about suicides in prison. Well, that coincides with uh, being raped in prison, suicides. A lot of the suicides are victims of um, staff abuse, not just physical abuse, but sexual abuse. And yes. I think you brought up a great topic because if they're not going to get any help, from anywhere, what's the next step? Suicide. Exactly. And and it's the trauma. That trauma stays with you for the rest of your life, and it's not. It doesn't go away. Right. Right. And 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 you and as Gary Gary is absolutely right. You need to you need to get the help, and we need to let these people know that there is a safe place where they can go to. Oh, absolutely right. I mean, if people you know, feel- there are places out there, um, and 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 the worst thing for someone to do is to keep this bottled in. Sure. And I think you make a good point. What is the effect when they walk out of the county jail or out of a prison? If you think the horror ends, as Kathy just said, you never forget. So who says you walk out of that county jail? You walk out that prison. That you just say, you know what, I can't deal with the mental trauma here. I'll just jump off this bridge here. I'll just, I have a, all the tools to take my life out here. So if you think because they walk out, well, it's done now, it's over, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. I'm going to play a clip re- real quick, uh, uh, Kathy and, and Gary. I'm going to get your thoughts on it. We're going to talk uh, briefly of how folks can get involved with this topic. What do we need to do? Uh, and, man, I'll tell you. The helplessness behind that wall is over the top because you have no power. You have no power. And when we get family members to get involved and start making phone calls and start popping up at these jails, start popping up at these prisons, I need to know my loved one is okay. Till we make a scene, the rape continues, man. It's not going to stop. Because they've been given a license to rape. Let's play the clip. Sexual, physical, and mental abuse. That's what former women prisoners in a Florida facility claim they were forced to endure. They're now suing the state for damages. Marty's Maria Finoshina investigates. I am an ex-inmate of the Florida Department of Corrections. Crystal Harper says she'd rather die than go back to a place she just left, and for a very particular reason. It was a means of legal prostitution. He grabbed my my butt and told me, you know, this is going to be mine. Just that fast. I hadn't even been in prison for 24 hours. Either you play their game or you get raped. Crystal chose to play alone, she says, just to survive. Every day for five years, she would have to accept indecent proposals in exchange for basic needs and security. So what do you charge for some What do I got to do to get my up around here? What would you want if I wanted to you? You train your mind and you train your body to numb it out. If I would have walked around prison like that 24-7, I'd have committed suicide a long time ago. It's laying on your bunk in the middle of the night, realizing what you had to do that day, the day before, the week before. Crystal was the first to speak up about the abuse in the Florida facility, but many more followed. 
always shocking stories to tell. I've had a lieutenant come through night shift and write on the back of a notepad and hold it up to my window, little notes, numerous different times. Um, one of them saying, uh, get naked, get doggy style, get on all fours, show me your vagina, and, and he's not the only one. The worst the girls complain is that the whole system is corrupted and there is nobody to ask for help. I just want it to be a place where you can serve your time and get your get your life together and then get out and get on with your life. There's no reason why any woman should have to go in there and endure so much punishment, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, verbal abuse. Like that's just way beyond what the judge said that you were going to have to do. We meet Crystal in Texas where she ran fearing for her life after she was followed by a known man and someone broke into her house. I don't know if it was the state. I don't know who it was. I have no idea. The only thing that I could register in my mind is, Crystal, you're going up against the state of Florida and you're still in Florida. Like, why wouldn't they try to hurt me or kill me? But sexual abuse is far from the only allegation. The Department of Corrections was supposed to do a devil mastectomy. This is what I got. Literally butchered. I left all of this here. All of this is a chance for the cancer to come back in. Tanya believes the surgery could have been avoided in the first place if she was checked on time. It took Tanya's sister 16 months to convince the facility administration to check Tanya's breast, long enough for the cancer to damage her body. Does Department of Corrections care? You can look at me and tell, no, they do not. I look in the mirror every day and see what they did to me and refuse to fix me. How can you not? hate such animals. The prison promises changes soon, but Tanya says in the 16 years she has been there, nothing ever changed. They will save the state money at any cost. They will allow you to die. The prison system in Florida is a, it's a billion dollar business. It's all about money. It's all about, it's not about keeping the streets safe. We contacted the facility, but they only agreed to an interview by telephone. We remind them that we are not here um, to punish, that that was the court's job, that we are here to ensure the inmate's safety and to ensure that they are returned to society in um, a better status, basically, than they were when they came to us. These women are suing the state of Florida in a federal court. The women's attorney says it's not just about individual cases, but rather cultural impunity. In the deep south of the United States, there has been a history of ignoring people's civil rights. The Department of Corrections is still in that mentality of, um, listen, we're going to do what we want to do. Don't question us. And um, these officers feel empowered to take advantage of people because they know that the department isn't going to come in and investigate properly. And no, they, they believe that nobody will believe these inmates anyway. David expects the case will take several years to resolve, but the women will win. What's less certain is whether the conditions that allegedly caused their suffering will change as well. This behind me is the Loyal Correctional Institution, Florida's first prison for women and, since last year, America's biggest. The stories we just heard took place here, and the inmates we spoke to say the suffering inside never stopped.
Ladies and gentlemen of America, to our honored guests, Kathy Morse, Gary York, to all the listeners tonight, what we've heard is beyond tragic. Because as the young lady in the clip just stated, the rapes, the abuse, the sexual assault continues. And she made the statement, the suffering never stops. Think about that for a moment as you digest the show. The suffering never stops. This is abuse behind the wall in its most horrific fashion. Abuse of power, turning a blind eye, and enabling the suffering and the pain in our prisons and in our jails is, is just uncomprehendable. Let me get your thoughts very quickly, Kathy, uh, on what you just heard. I know the, the numbness and making your feel, yourself feel numb all too well. I did it myself. And that's the only way that you get through it on a day-to-day basis is you have to make yourself numb. Um, and I, you know, I was, I was raped on Rikers and then I had the other assault incident happen. And um, you do, you get to the point where you, you actually, you do want to commit suicide. And I will be honest, and tell you that I did contemplate it. I'm not going to deny it. I would sit, lay in my bunk at night and try to figure out how I could do it. Um, I started cutting myself um, to make the pain go away. Um, It was, you know, there's all these indignities that one has to suffer when they're incarcerated. And by that, I mean the strip searches and just the way that they treat you and, and, you know, the lack of privacy and and everything else. And to have the sexual assault compounded on top of that and not being able to talk to anybody about it and being with people, you know, and being with people who know what happened, but nobody is going to say or do anything. It It is an extremely powerless, you feel, I just, I can't, I just can't describe the feeling, how it is. But that numbness comes over you, and that's the only way that you will survive, is you have to go numb. Absolutely. Gary, and we're against the clock. Kathy, I'm so sorry uh, for what you endured, but uh, you're you're a champion for justice and a champion for for the voiceless, and we appreciate your work. Gary, really quick, your closing thought. The tape you just played, I can... can that that goes on um, in in my book I have two chapters the married officer who's a married officer and I won't get into the details but he is doing things to two female inmates at Dade Correctional on the female unit and that clip sounds like lol to me and I have another story in my book about a male officer raping a male inmate and these things do go on yeah. and if anybody says they don't they don't know what's happening behind the walls and we we just have to keep fighting somehow, some way. Thank you, Kathy, yes. and thank you folks for your radio station because without people like you, we're not gonna get this word out, we're not gonna help people, and we're not gonna stop it. All right, folks, thanks for joining us again. We're against the clock. We maybe and we're gonna see 
may do the final conclusion of this show on Tuesday. You guys are welcome to come yeah. back. There's too much, yeah, so much and, and I would I would just mention to the listeners to follow that hashtag, you know, Me Too behind bars, because that's what we are using to get the word out. And I'd like to talk about that more. We will be in touch offline. Thank you guys for your time okay. tonight. Thank And Gary, thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we appreciate it. Take Voices care. From Take care. Voices from behind the wall, folks, victims of sexual abuse. We didn't even scratch the surface tonight.